everybody. Welcome back to Cover B. Welcome back to Cover B. We are here with a key issues, and I have no idea what we're talking about. <laughs> I have opinions today. Okay. And so yeah. I have brought us here to discuss them. Cool. Kick it off. I have been very frustrated lately mm-hmm. because there are lots of really great comic IPs. Yeah. That are currently in a horrible cycle of large producer abuse. Okay. okay. Yeah. So, so what keeps happening in the comic industry is that you will have IPs or concepts or books or whatever. They will start to get produced and then they will get immediately purchased by one of these large names uh-huh. And then they claim these IPs, and then they either don't get made, they just sit, bought, doing nothing, never existing, never becoming movies, never becoming... Okay, so we're talking specifically about, like, movies. We're not talking about, like... And TV. So movies and TV. We're not talking about, like, comic IPs. Correct. Like, they're getting made into comics no. or anything. Okay. No, no, no. Okay. We're talking about comic IPs that are getting... So comics m- getting bought by movies and TVs, not movies and TVs getting bought by comics. Correct. Okay, gotcha. Correct. Gotcha, Correct. Roger. So these IPs are then purchased by these big-name corporations, these these Netflixes, uh-huh. these Warner Brothers, these all of these things. And then they either don't get made, they just sit, and they rot in a closet somewhere, yeah. sadly. Yeah. Or they get made, and then they don't get the love they deserve, and then it just turns into a nightmare. Yeah, like Paper Girls. So, like what we talked about on yes, the Paper Girls episode. There are three things that I have found that, okay. that make this very frustrating, okay? There are three things that cause these movies and TV shows to not succeed, and I'm going to give all three of them. Thing one is poor marketing. And that's what we talked about with Paper Girls. Yeah. Okay? Yes. So, if you didn't listen to our Paper Girls episode, you should. But to give a quick yeah, summary. You can find it at CoverBeePodcast.com. That's right. But to give a quick summary, basically, really good adaptation. It wasn't perfectly faithful. It wasn't perfect as a representation of the comic. But it was good. It was a quality show. It had good acting. It was interesting. It was cohesive. It had a lot of potential. But they didn't market it at all. Mm-hmm. Amazon was so focused on the new Lord of the Rings stuff. It was yep. so focused on everything else. We, as Paper Girls fans, like, we stand Paper Girls. We didn't know it was coming out until IMDb sent us a random phone notification about it. Like, mm-hmm. that's that's messed up. Yeah, I was on IMDb looking up something else. Like, looking up the cast of a different movie. and got a banner ad that was like, Paper Girls, out now. I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah. I don't understand why IMDB was the primary advertiser yeah. for Paper Girls. Yeah, yeah. And it didn't make any sense because Paper Girls came out at a time right off the heels of Stranger Things. Why wouldn't you put a bunch of money behind that and try mm-hmm. to compete? Like, that is prime Paper Girls competition. Like, that is your audience. You know who your audience is. You know how to get to them. You're freaking Amazon. Yeah. Why are you not marketing your stuff? So that's very frustrating. So Paper Girls, poor marketing. The next thing is poor writing. <laughs> mm-hmm. When you look at a book and you go, mm, we don't want to do it the way that 
it was done and made successful and clearly had something to it and the whole reason why we bought it. This one is Jupiter's Legacy. Okay. Yeah. I, and yes. And, you know, I've talked about this a few times on the show. Like, I, I absolutely understand the need to be like, well, we're hiring writers. We don't want to just like copy paste the source material. We want to do something a little bit different. We want to change it up. But yeah, the issue does become when the method by which they change it up is like needlessly cheesy or needlessly like dramatic or like some of the choices they make aren't really like, did you need to make this choice? Like you could have made a different choice. Yeah, there's, there's, I, I don't think there's enough. I mean, it's just bad writing, bad writing. It's happens. just bad writing. And part of that, I think that happens is that they buy these comic IPs because they're popular, because they're successful, because they're making money. Mm -hmm. And then they strip away in the production side what made the comic succeed, right? You don't have to necessarily perfectly recreate a comic. It doesn't have to be Sandman, right? Mm -hmm. You can make a comic different. You can adapt it. You can change it. But if you lose what appealed to people about mm -hmm. the original IP. If you lose what sucked readers in and made this IP popular, you're not going to have a successful adaptation. Yeah. You're ruining what gives you leverage by buying this IP. Well, I think, you know, a lot of people a lot of people doing like indie comic adaptations are looking over at Marvel and to a lesser extent DC because good Lord. <laughs> um, <laughs> but looking over at Marvel and they're seeing Marvel take like big comic moments, big comic scenes and put them on the big screen. Thanos snapping is, you know, one. Uh, I can't think of any other specifics off the cuff, but you know, like Steve Rogers, being unfrozen, I guess, is a significant one. Uh, you know, Iron Man getting exploded, building the first armor in the cave. With a bag of scraps! Um, <laughs> that's another one. And, you know, they look at these scenes and these moments, these, like, these sequences. Right. And they kind of, they look at these comics that they're adapting. And they're like, we gotta adapt these scenes. Everything else doesn't really is matter. fair game, and it's <laughs> it's that's not inherently true. I think there's a misunderstanding that comic readers and comic fans don't have deeper understandings of character and a care and character value, and yeah. they don't have deeper understandings of like narrative complexity, and they don't have deeper understandings of you know dramatic irony and like other kind of like classic literary problems like they those aren't factored in the like classic literary things aren't factored in when we're reading this is yeah. a, we're reading reading is happening mm -hmm. and while yeah not everyone is like a hypercritical reader like whether they know it or not a lot of fans will you know they might not actively be able to express like oh you know the personal relationship between this person and this person really resonated with me and that's what I like. And then if, you know, I'll use paper girls as an example, uh, just cause, 
it's the most recent one that I've experienced, but like, you know, oh, this person's character really resonates with me because A, B, and C, and then they go in and they make it a completely different character mm-hmm. and turn the person just into an absolute a-hole. And that's not going to sit well with fans that felt a certain way. Yeah. You know, it's cool that you have a giant robot. That was a big scene in one of the books. Like, there was a book that closed with this huge giant robot fighting the, like, whatever, the, like, single-celled organism or the... I, I, at some point, I will look up what these scary creatures are called. <laughs> um, it's like the creature that can live in deep space or whatever. But, yeah. Um, cool, giant robot. You you did it. You know what I mean? Oh, cool. Like, the sequence with the bugs healing the Aaron's wound and stuff. Like, oh, cool, you got it. You know what I mean? Like, you, you got those scenes. But that's not all that's there. There's more behind that. Yeah. And when you go about like shifting and trying to make something your own, you have to be careful not to lose those things. And it, I feel it boils down to just not a lot of market research on like why a comic's popular. Mm-hmm. All it takes is like loading up all the blogs and reviews and YouTube videos that you can to hear people talk about it. And if if literally every single person talking about, you know, Venom is just talking about, you know, a particular sequence of events that happened. Like, oh, him, him, you know, showing up is like, adds like little subtle cameos initially. Like, that's my favorite part about Venom. And everyone's talking about that. Then fine. Make that, you know. The primary part of your movie. Release a Venom movie. You're just going to have him like show up, like pushing Peter Parker onto a train and like on the train tracks and stuff and teehee that's that's the only thing people care about about venom but you have to dig deeper into the fanship to understand what people actually want out of this character you know and you know like if you're gonna bring wolverine into the mcu and you dig through videos and reviews and the only thing people are saying is like when wolverine fought the hulk yes then have Wolverine fight the Hulk and everyone will be a hundred percent happy. Everyone's on board, but inevitably there's going to be different people that want different things out of it. And sure you can't please everybody, but you have to be more aware than just these like visual moments. And I think there's even something to that even stronger in that so many of these adaptations that haven't succeeded have been visually very aligned with the book. Mm-hmm. Paper Girls, they look like they took those characters out of the book and made them real. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's almost like producers think that the visual element of comics is the only part that matters. Like, if we make it look right yeah, with the big scenes, but also with, like, the character adaptations and, like, how these people are, disp- like, displayed. Like, if we make it look right, people will be happy. But then they can completely ignore and just abuse the story for whatever they want. Yeah, it just feels like not enough interest in researching this stuff in between. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, we're gonna gonna make... Like, we've never seen a BLT. We've never had one. We don't really know what all the letters stand for. But we've been told that the B is bacon. So we're going to focus hard on the bacon. And then we're just going to make up what the L and T are. It's going to look right. There's going to be green and red. Yeah. And bacon. Yeah, yeah. But, like, 
that red might be ketchup. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're just gonna make up what we're just gonna fudge what those those middle elements are, and we'll still have bread and we'll still have bacon, but on the other sides of the bacon, who knows? You know, and it's like and nobody cares as long as it looks right. Yeah, it's like <laughs> cool and everything, but like. You know, when the L ends up being lizard hide and the T ends up being some chemical called turbank that was made in a plastics factory <laughs> happens to be red. Not super delicious. Then it's not going to be a tasty BLT. No. You know what I mean? So not that BLTs are tasty anyway. They're a garbage sandwich. Shame on you. <laughs> And it's not enough substance for a sandwich. I'm I don't know. Saying. If you do turkey bacon, I would eat it. No, gross. Um, <laughs> anyway, yeah, it's it's. there's not enough focus on the stuff in between. Yes. Is, is what I think the main issue is. They want to hit these scenes, you know, like Jupiter's Legacy, obviously the big betrayal, uh, big betrayal sequence. Uh, you know, there's a handful of the like part, like showing the partying element and stuff is important. And they did a really good job in the Jupiter's, Le Jupiter's Legacy show of, uh, honestly, in my opinion, doing changes that kind of mattered. Um, that one really just suffered from, I think that suffered more from advertising than anything. But uh, I think the biggest issue with that show is that they just moved too slow. And again, that comes from they were, that was them just trying to pad it, I think is the biggest issue with Jupiter's legacy is they were, they were trying to pat it out and it ended up just like pulling down. But like, again, they were focused on scenes. They had like very specific scenes that they wanted and they added in a few other characters, fleshed out characters a little bit further, which is understandable because you're trying to get like a ton of content out right. of like a five book series, six book series. But you know, just it's, it's, it goes, I'll, I'll just finalize cause I'm rambling it goes beyond just like splash pages. Yeah. You have to look past the splash pages and figure out what people actually like about the book and make sure you include that as you do rewrites and flesh out other characters and extend storylines and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. People didn't buy posters of these pages. They bought books, they bought comics mm. and they read the whole, the whole comic from start to finish. And that would be nice to be considered. The last thing that affects this, and this one hurts me the most, <laughs> because we keep seeing it, and it's why these books don't get made, and it's why these books sit on shelves, and it's why certain things happen and then die. Poor advocacy. And right now, the one that comes to mind and hurts me the most that we haven't really talked about on this show, and I think it's because it's too raw, it's too soon, mm -hmm. is Batgirl. Mm-hmm. Hmm. <laughs> yeah we have i a, think um though it, it's so frustrating mm -hmm. good right it, it's just it's so frustrating that these ips exist and and batgirl admittedly is a little bit different right because mm -hmm. warner brothers owns all the I, dc stuff i don't know if batgirl the batgirl cancellation can be included in <laughs> this general discussion like it's worth discussing um right it's it's because a little different it's a really messed up scenario but it's not really on the same page as like 
IPs getting grabbed up because the, the, you know, the, the pandemic in the comic world is movie companies immediately grabbing up IPs and doing little to nothing with them. Like that's where we're kind of at. The Batgirl movie got made. It was made. It's done. And because of really extreme messed up shakeups at Warner Brothers, it got canceled. And, you know, they still have the Batgirl IP because they have all the DC IP. They have the DC licensing. So it's not like we're never going to get a Batgirl movie, you know. Um, I think, you know, a better example of kind of the advocacy thing would be like Ice Cream Man. Ice Cream Man licensing and pre-production, I think, started over at some company whose name I can't remember, <laughs> but like some new streaming service picked up their IP and it was like a horrible business model and went under like instantly, literally four months after they launched. And so now ice cream man is just gone. It's, it's just, just not going to happen. Yeah. And were there, I don't know, more creative control or creative directors of that IP licensing they might be able to then pitch it to Netflix or pitch it to Hulu. And it's possible that that's still happening. I just haven't heard anything right. about it going on. And to clarify, when I say advocacy, like, obviously there's a difference between, you know, advocacy for something through Warner Brothers, which owns all the DC stuff, and advocacy for these smaller IPs, whether they get made or not, in these other vast range of, co of, of companies. But I think what stuck out to me is that at the end of the day, it boils down to there is like a barrier between the people who create and love and make these comics and work on these IPs and concepts mm -hmm. and the big wig heads at the top. Yeah. And whether they give a damn or not, like Marvel's lucky, right? Because while we joked about him lovingly because of She-Hulk and Kevin, Kevin Feige does seem to care about the Marvel stuff and has a vision and does, you know, want to please people with Marvel IPs and concepts and mm -hmm. recognizes the money behind it and recognizes there's money in doing things to some degree well. Um, there have been obvious flops and flaws and me crying over female Thor, but there, <laughs> by and large, he tries to do right by these things. Yeah. But I feel like a lot of these other companies don't have someone that sees them as this can make me money because of what it is mm. and see it as this can make me money. Maybe if it doesn't, I don't like it anymore. You know well, what yeah. I mean? Yeah. It's so like, Yes, Kevin Feige has a good idea of the universe and a good understanding of, I guess, curating an ongoing narrative across multiple titles. Yeah. And, you know, he has a very good understanding of the Marvel formula and what they've seen is commercially sound and how to connect that with important things for the fans, like inclusivity and representation. So, yes. Uh, DC, I mean, obviously there's been tons of drama and tons of stories over the years that claim that they're trying to get their own Feige and having trouble. Like, there was a 
bunch of talk that Jim Lee was supposed to step up as their Feige, but then there was a bunch of drama between him and Warner Brothers and stuff. And I don't, I don't know how, how much of this is true. I honestly, there's so much like garbage reporting on what's <laughs> happening at DC and Warner Brothers that it's just hard to keep up uh, with what's real and what's not. And you know, having to research multiple angles and multiple people's statements on it and stuff like that. So who knows? And then as far as companies like Amazon, Netflix, Hulu, like those sorts of companies, even like, you know, Paramount or Universal, like companies that, you know, tend to push more for theater releases and less for streaming releases. You know, there's never going to be somebody that is like the comics person because they're buying up all these different indie things. What I think really needs to, I think I, I think what it really boils down to, and I, I don't know without like sitting and researching this because I've never honestly like looked into the depth of this, but you know, as far as I know, you make something for image and boom also, I believe boom might have a bit more ownership. I don't know what their, uh, their like licensing deal is with creators but i know you know images whole thing is like it's creator run it's creator we call it indie but it really boils down to like creator run it's right. creator owned you make a every character you put in your book belongs to you it does not belong to image the publishing right rights belong to image they can be negotiated and you can publish elsewhere but you know when you sign on publishing rights belong to image um so my understanding of that, and we've seen it with like Mark Millar, like the deal Mark Millar has with Netflix is between Netflix and Mark Millar. It's not between Netflix and Image. and But Mark Millar pretty much exclusively publishes through Image. And the books that Netflix is putting on are Image books. And I, I think the real issue with advocacy, and this might be like a grander thing and require like more hands on deck, is making sure that contractually these creators are being given control and or ownership, whether full or partial, over these film representations of their work. So when a when a you know person signs on to you know have the old guard be put on on Netflix, have Sandman be put on Netflix, have, you know, Ice Cream Man be put on at... Somewhere. Quibbledy Gook or whatever it was called. <laughs> you know, like, when, when they sign on to these things and then it implodes, do they have ownership enough to take that licensing and go elsewhere? Yeah. Or did the contract they sign mean that the owner of whatever platform... Or, you know, the foundation owning the platform, the group owning the platform of that bought the license still has ownership over it and they'll never see it again unless those people want to sign it off to them. Yeah. And, you know, sure, it boils down to creators being able to advocate for themselves, but maybe there should be like a group that exists that is like and there might be. I know there is. Uh, various, there's at least two important, like, comic legal funds that I know of that support creators. But I don't know if they have a section that's specifically focused on, like, negotiating licensing deals. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, if I'm just some, like, because we see low, like, Keen Spot, I think, was the company that produced that Jennifer Lopez, Owen Wilson Marry movie. Me. Yeah. Yeah. Like, some low small press publisher 
you know, had their thing get like this person's thing got bought. What is their deal with the publisher? How much ownership over the licensing does the publisher have? And then when that person signed on to it, if that movie had like died in production, would they have been able to like, would the creator of that comic, which I think was also an online comic initially. Yeah. Would they have been able to then push for it to go somewhere else, right. you know, and with it being an online comic, it's possible that they bought the licensing through the online comic thing, but yeah, whatever. I think you're right though. I mean, it would behoove like image to have some sort of like contracted legal team mm -hmm. that helps all of their writers in negotiations to make sure that those, you know, big budget, you know, productions and adaptations do a faithful adaptation and representation of the IP that's being done and that the creator gets to have a say and influence yeah. because a better movie means new fans who then buy the original comic works, yeah. which means it, it's like a, it's a Norboros, right? Like you make the comic so that it then becomes a movie and then the movie helps sell more comics. It's true. Yeah. And so that it, it, it does behoove the publisher, even when it's creator own to have some sort of legal support to be like, here, we're going to make sure that this gets made right because we also benefit. From yeah, it. it's true. It, it, yeah. The, the burden of advocacy could definitely fall upon the publisher. You know what I mean? Like, it would be cool for Image to have, like, a licensing and rights department that they can, like, connect with. And, I don't, again, anything I say here has been unresearched. I have no <laughs> idea. All this stuff could exist. I could be making a complete ass of myself. Who knows? Anyway, uh, <laughs> it would be cool if Image had a department like that that helped people. Because, you know, you see, like, Mark Millar very clearly is going to have some sort of creative control yeah. i don't know if he really cares to like he's kind of seemed aloof from like touching his licensing in the past like yeah. he licenses out and he's like here's a list of things i want you to make sure you include all right bye he's... bye kids i'll pick you up after school <laughs> he's very stephen king about yeah. it and um <laughs> here's my work pay me okay bye greg rucka on the other hand has said in you know afterwards in his books as well as in interviews that he likes to be very controlled you know they're i think they're still working on the lazarus show and he's mentioned multiple times that he wants to like be really hands-on in these sorts of things and um but you know you look at not necessarily like smaller names but you look at like people that haven't really seen a lot of tv time and movie time like, A Billion Genies just got grabbed. Like, issue one came out and it got grabbed. What was the contractual deal there? Yeah. You know, did they just sign it away and move on? And then if it never gets made, they're just screwed? Um, I think the, the biggest concern is, like, these creators need to have the right to pressure the company that bought their licensing to either make the content or give it back. And I don't think there's enough of that because there's tons of content that has been bought up in the past. Like, especially like pre COVID, there was like a huge rush of like every week there was a book coming out. Still waiting on my postal adaptation. Yeah. Hey, there was a, like every week there was a book coming out that was like a brand new book from a small press that was getting purchased yeah. by various companies. And, you know, what happens when those companies signed where they have exclusivity over the film rights to this thing and then they never make it? 
because it, much of the purchasing was done because a at the time i'm guessing they knew they could get comic licensing rights pretty cheap yeah and b that way they don't ever have to worry about somebody like comic comes out it's getting critical acclaim or it's getting a lot of hype online they don't have to worry about a competitor getting it whether they make it or not they never have to worry about losing money to a competitor about this popular ip and how very fantastic four of them yeah <laughs> it's it's nonsense and it's a really messed up system that we let go freaking buck wild for like way too two long years and it's still happening i mean uh -huh. you see like i said eight billion genies issue one came out by the time like it was like issue two was about to hit the shelf comic book store employees were like slowly lowering it down <laughs> as whatever the hell company was like bye 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 and they bought the rights is it ever gonna get made i don't know hopefully it will it's a cool book it is a but, cool book you know, what is the nature of the contract with those creators? Do they have control to be like, hey, it's been two years. You guys haven't made a movie or a TV show out of this. We want our licensing back so that we can sell it off to somebody else. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, we want to be able to pitch this to somebody else. And there's a lot of talk with Paper Girls about, you know, oh, can we pitch this to another you're not going to make season two, so can we have somebody yeah, else try to do it? can we pitch it to another company? And that boils down to contractual. Like, does Amazon have the licensing rights for the, like, physical, like, video representation of this source material? And usually licensing rights are, like, selling off your licensing rights, like, permanently is crazy Marvel's going under kind of shit. <laughs> that happens you know what i mean like marvel's losing money in the 90s and just selling to everybody kind of things but it happens and you know usually when you sell licensing rights for a story or for an ip it's for like a certain amount of years but that can be up to like 10 15 years and so like what happens if paper girls amazon bought the rights for 10 years in 10 years are people gonna want a paper girl show and, you know, I mean, to tie it back to to the Batgirl situation, like, you know, DC has this relationship with Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers owns the licensing for the DC stuff. But then Warner Brothers as a company went through a massive change and merger mm -hmm. and, and acquisition. All this stuff happened. Right. But DC as an organization, because of their contractual obligations, they don't get a say in what happens to Warner Brothers and yeah. who is the CEO and how they feel about things. And so, like, while there are things that obviously DC gets to control because it is their their IP, Warner Brothers has a lot more say than they maybe should in a lot of instances. Yeah, and, you know, I, I, I don't know. I'm just wary to have to have too much discourse on whether or not the big companies, Marvel and DC, actually care about their creators, their characters, and their fans. <laughs> Fair. You know what I mean? Like, it's true that Warner Brothers does have a lot more control over the movies and TV shows that DC produces. But does DC even care to really, like, fight for that? You know what I mean? Like, do they care to advocate for anything? Like, I feel like unless you had a creator who was high up at the company that was advocating for himself or herself 
and themselves and was like don't misrepresent misrepresent the things i've created and was like a real like diva artist type of person right i don't feel like you'll see anyone from dc or marvel actually fight for like proper representation of their characters and stuff because the only characters they really care about are George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, Ben Franklin. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's fair. Like, those are the only characters. At the end of the day, those are the only characters they, they care about. I love their books. I love DC and Marvel stuff. Like, it's fun to read. And the creators over there are talented. I'm not knocking the people actually writing the books and doing the art. But the people higher up that would have the ability to kind of look at Warner Brothers and be like, we want to go into, you know, a review of our contract and we want to like change this relationship because you're can't believe you canceled that Batgirl movie. Shame on you. We want to change things. We're tired of dealing with you. We're going to go the Marvel route and do it ourselves. Would have to want to do that. And do they actually want to do that? Or do they want to just let like, Ooh, man, Warner brothers is dissolving all kinds of shit. Let's just set back and wait because eventually they'll be like, hey, we want to do another movie push and then they'll throw money at us. You know what I mean? It's it's so funny because like, I guess at the end of the day, you really don't know what would make them more money, right? Like would advocating for themselves and standing up for their content and their fans and their creators make them more money a la the mm. Marvel route or yeah, would they it's... or would they is does it behoove their pocketbooks to just let it ride and hope that WB comes back yeah. with stacks but there's a significant the thing to understand is that there's a significant jump between talking about a writer and artist duo oh of course selling their licensing to a movie company you know, and they probably have lawyers and they probably have connections to lawyers. So it's all probably pretty like, but, you know, having any sort of aid from their parent company that this was published under or any sort of aid from like a legal fund focused around comic creators, et cetera, et cetera. Do we have these things? I don't know. Something to look into. I honestly, after this conversation, I'm probably going to look into it. But there's a big difference between like those people and talking about how they work. Versus looking at, like, big corporations and talking about how they work. I mean, think right. about it, like, movie theaters are going under. You and I have had this discussion yes. personally off <laughs> podcasts plenty of times. But movie theaters are going under. They've done very little to almost nothing over the past few years to make movie theaters more appealing to people, to make them more profitable, to find new ways to present the movie theater experience to people. Right. And instead, they're just going to blame Gen Z and millennials. Yeah. They're going to be like, they're just not showing up. They're just not coming up. They just would rather watch things on streaming. They're just too obsessed with their phones. Like, that's the discourse that you're hearing. Right. They've done nothing to change. Movie theaters have looked exclusively the same since we were children. Yeah. You know what I mean? Nothing to change. But they're not going to take the accountability of that. And that's how corporations work. Yeah. You know what I mean? So when you're talking about DC and Marvel and Warner Brothers, that's what you're dealing with is this, you know, completely dissolved, delusional mentality that like, 
it's somehow the people's fault. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and then you've got Warner Brothers, which is literally losing its damn mind. <laughs> so who knows? But it's it's just hard to really like dig into the mind of a corporation and dig into the mind of the executives at a corporation right. because they're all terrible people. There is. <laughs> I said it. I don't care. They're awful. They're, they're just terrible people. I'm looking at you executives. I'm sure I'm sure there's some nice executives, but you know AE Ab is all I'm saying. <laughs> you know? Not all executives, but all, all executives. executives yeah. All all executives. Anyway. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's to sum up, yes. We need more advocacy for creators to have control over their licensing agreed the end <laughs> at the end of the day there's a lot of injustice happening in the adaptation world from the comic books to the screens whether them silver or large or imax or whatever and it sucks as readers who want to see the things we love faithfully adapted before our eyes with our favorite type of Actors and actresses and, and everyone in between. And it just makes me sad. And that's my key. Yeah. <laughs> I guess if I had any sort of takeaway, if you're a comic book creator and you've got something that's like small scale enough to do this, crowdfund like a 15 minute short film, like a 30 minute short film. It's true. You know, get on Kickstarter, crowdfund it, crowdsource it make a cool super dope like short film and use that as your thing that you can pitch your licensing with yeah you know what i mean because then it came from you you're pitching off of the short film that connects back to your creator owned ip you have the vision you know what i mean you already have like a target marketing and it gives you like a targeted market and it gives you a little bit more leverage in a conversation to be like look this is what i produced by my hand as a representation of my ip i would like productive control over this licensing and again i I don't i'm not a film a legal person a film law expert so i don't know how all this licensing shit really like boils down at the end of the day i just know that you know as a writer who has worked through licensing things with people those small time I know how copyright law and licensing law and trademark law and shit like that works. And there's a lot of like, I mean, I don't know it. I know enough about how it works to have seen it, but uh, not all licenses are sold the same. And that's just, and I think a lot of it boils down to name recognition. So if you're not a big name and you want to get your thing made, you want to have a little bit more leverage. If you can crowdfund something that is productive and gets a lot of attention, that gets you a little bit more leverage. Money speaks louder, and potential money speaks louder mm-hmm. than anything else. So if you can prove that you, your control and your vision can be the most profitable avenue for this IP, that's how you win. Yep. And, you know, have, if you go into licensing talks, have reviews and YouTube videos and stuff, like, logged up, ready to go to be like, this is what people want out of this. You know what I mean? So, yeah. who knows? I don't know. Anyway. Anyway, that's going to do it for us. If you want to see more Cover B, you can find us on our website at Cover B Podcast. You can also follow us on social media 
at Cover Me Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you all have a good weekend. Yes. Uh, as always, I have been Chris. This has been T. It's true. And you have been listening to, to Cover, Cover B. B. Bye, everybody.